I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design. We got a good one today, so buckle up. This is going to be fun. When I started Convo by Design, gosh, seven years ago, I saw an opportunity to tell the untold stories of creators, designers, architects, artists, set decorators, and others who change the way we live, build, and design. I started recording these panels and keynotes from West Week, Fall Market, Legends, and of course, the West Edge Design Fair. After I started working with West Edge co-founders Troy Hansen and Megan Riley, the opportunity presented itself to start producing the stage at West Edge. For two years now, the Convo by Design Programming Lounge has been a place to share new ideas, engage, and explore the stories from inside design and architecture. Over time, uh, a new class of creator has emerged. These, these artisans are taking the industry to the next level through the work as well as through the stories they're living and then telling and the, business, the, the businesses they're, they're building. They are multidimensional. I, I, I crafted a panel called Rockstars, Rebels, and Raconteurs to showcase these unique personalities. The group this year included designers Lori Dennis and Ryan Sagian, as well as architect Gene Brownhill, who uh, is also CEO and founder of Sweden. This chat was super fun, and it covers a lot of ground. So uh, let's just get to it. Convo by Design is presented by Walker Zanger, a fantastic company and an equally fantastic design partner. While the Walker Zanger brand was built on the promise to inspire designers and architects to do their best work, there's far more to it than that. Yes, that promise is fulfilled every day through a commitment to provide the best ceramic, glass, stone, porcelain, and concrete surfaces and finishes. But at the heart is a family-owned and operated business that provides stunning surfaces for a well-designed home and does it to make designers and architects do their best work for their clients. Walker Zanger started in 1952, and they are absolutely one of the best trade partners a designer can have. Check out their newest collaborative line with designer Pieta Donovan, a collection of cement and ceramic tiles inspired by the patterns and colorways of the 1970s and created with a comfortable modernity. Walker Zanger is on the cutting edge of design, featuring products for every style and architectural feel you can create. And they provide homeowners with the materials that dream kitchens and baths are made of. Check out any of their 14 showrooms across the country or shop online, walkerzanger.com. So you got three rock stars sitting here. And uh, the first question that comes up is, who are you? So first up is Gene. Then you're going to hear from Ryan and finally from Lori. So I was trained as an architect at Cooper Union. Sorry, this is a little bit loud. Trying to find the right volume. Uh, but I didn't actually have any background or understanding of what architecture was. So I have dyslexia. I was good at math and art. Uh, my guidance counselor said, you should be an architect. I was like, I don't know what that means. No one in my community uses an architect. I've never heard of that. But I went home. I told my mom that. And she got a College for Dummies book out. I know maybe some people remember what that is. <laughs> it's printed on dead trees. Um, anyway, so she got this book and she was like, you're going to go to Cooper Union. It's free. We have no money for you to college. You're going to go for architecture. That's kind of how I got into architecture. And, you know, Cooper Union is a very hard school to get into, but I got in. I loved it. I just thought it was the most amazing, amazing education. And 
from there, I kind of never looked back. I have been in the industry for almost 20 years now. I love architecture. I love design. I think that you can see the values of our culture imprinted for permanent or semi-permanent amount of times in the buildings and the spaces that we create. And at Sweeten, uh, and you know, I'll cross out the middle part of what I you know worked as an architect. <laughs> came up with the idea. I came up with the idea after I tried to renovate my own home. So I hired the wrong general contractor. I had a very traditional experience, and I thought, this, this is what I want to do. This is a customer I want to serve, people who've worked really hard to save their money. I want to help them realize their dreams you know, and have a space in the world that reflects them and their values. So uh, I started Sweeten, you know, and then I raised venture capital quick. And I, no, just kidding. It was like a whole long story. But... Um, <laughs> I raised venture capital for this idea. I ended up growing it from my spare bedroom to now we have, you know, 70 people, three offices, five markets, and we will be nationwide by the end of 2020. So I skipped out a lot of the story, but maybe you get the idea. <laughs> I cannot remember a time where I wasn't doing this. I was my mom's decorator at like seven years old. And I was, like, not allowed to rearrange anything in my aunt and uncle's house anymore because every time I went over the next day, they didn't know where something was. Um, it was something I always wanted to do. And when I was 15, I started interning for Woodson and Rummerfield's House of Design, who <clears throat> were, like, my mentors throughout all of high school and through college. And it wasn't, like, 21 years old, I launched my own firm in my parents' house still doing the same shit I would do with them all the time, and it just grew from there. Well, I want to thank you for inviting me to the rock star part of the panel, because if I wasn't an interior designer when I was little, I really wanted to be a rock star, so I finally fulfilled that dream. It seems dreams do come true. Um, I had an experience when I was a child in my room where decoration changed the room for me, and that opened my eyes to my environment, and... Ever since then, I was an interior designer, even though I didn't know it. And one of the other things that's always been a passion of mine is the environment and being organic and healthy way before anybody was doing it. When I was four years old, I saw these weird hippie yoga people on TV and started doing yoga with them. And so my career morphed into design and my specialty in design is sustainable design and organic living and wellness. And it's perfect because... I'm in vogue right now, like I'm, I'm hot and I got the credentials to <laughs> go behind it. So we'll talk about that a little bit later in the panel about how you start doing one thing and it can really expand into other things and um, how that meandering path kind of is your journey and makes you who you are. The next topic is one very near and dear to my heart. It too was covered at West Edge and you'll be hearing about that later this year in a panel from um, Michael Berman, Timothy Corrigan and Genevieve Trousdale. The topic is mentorship. First up is Lori, then Ryan, followed by Jean. It's crucial to succeed in life. Uh, having a mentor is crucial to succeed in your life. And whether you're lucky enough to have somebody like Woodson Wimmerfeld, who is one of the examples of exquisite design and having a, a point of view, um, and you're lucky enough to have someone like Woodson Wimmerfeld be your um, mentor, or Maybe you don't have a mentor and you read biographies of people who you really admire and learn the, the recipes for their nuggets of success and implement them and, and um, emulate them in your own practice. If you don't have 
an ideal to follow or to be to be influenced by, it's really hard to come out of the gate against the tide of professionalism and experience that's out there. So having that figure that has already failed and, and you know, wound up ultimately succeeding, who has already navigated some of the things that you are going to have to navigate, saves you time, aggravation, um, could save your life in some cases if, you know, somebody had a journey and, and they were triumphant and, and you can't see the end of the tunnel. So it's crucial to have a mentor and then it's crucial to be a mentor because without being one, there wouldn't be any. So at any stage of your career or life, you know, whether it's a professional situation or a personal situation, having somebody being who knows who's already done it who can give you confidence to keep going you know it's just you gotta have it I always say your mentor should be somebody that really inspires you and this is before social media I was looking at Ron and Jamie's work on blogs you had a blog at that time too I remember I saw on your blog as well and I was like I have to work for them like, but how am I going to work for them when I have no experience I'm in high school I have no design experience I, don't, I haven't gone to college yet so I sent Jamie an email and I said I will do whatever it takes to work for you. I will, you know, clean your toilets, sharpen your pencils. I will organize the library, pour you coffee. I just have to be in your environment and observe and learn. And she brought me in. I literally would get dropped off by my mom. I didn't even have my learner's permit yet. And I would stay till like 5, 6 o'clock when they would go home three times a week. And school did teach me the technical things that you need. I learned AutoCAD. I learned about materials. But... Ron and Jamie really taught me how to implement those techniques. And you learn so much more of the back end. And you learn about life. You learn about their struggles and what they did wrong. And you get this hands-on experience that if I think if I didn't have that, I wouldn't be where I am now at 27 years old. So mentorship is crucial. And I love being a mentor now. And I love everybody who helps me and works for me. So you take and then you give back. Uh, well, first I just want to... Um, second everything Laurie said about kind of fragmentoring. I think that that's super important. When people hear the word mentor, I think they think of like a dedicated person that will absolutely um, be with you for a long period of time. And I just, I think that it's important that people just think as well that like it's okay to have just like these little fragmented moments of mentorship where you can get them. Um, because I certainly have had a ton. And um, you know, I think one of the mentors that I have is not, is kind of somewhere in between both of you where, you know, I read this book called um, The Making of an American Capitalist about uh, Warren Buffett. It's like this tome about Warren Buffett. And I wrote him a letter. Now, you know, it was like a, a penny into a wishing well kind of feeling where I just felt so uh, moved by what I had learned and his ideas and his values around um, a certain type of capitalism and he wrote me back I mean you could have like blown me over the feather I was like oh my god like how could he have time to write me back so then I wrote him again he wrote me back again <laughs> I was like oh my god this is amazing <laughs> and it was really this this feeling about a certain type of serendipity around mentorship as well. 
So being curious, being open, being inspired enough by what you saw on the external to think that it might be possible to touch that and then to have it, like in your case, they hired you. In my case, he wrote me back. Like I think that that, like there's a line between kind of uh, inspiration and mentorship that you can break through. And yeah, it was really powerful. And and I didn't go on to work for Warren Buffett. I only met him one time, but it was... Um, really, really instrumental in my uh, thinking about what was possible in the world. Next, they were talking about connections. Gosh, it's so important. And you're going to hear why it's so important to them. Um, Ryan leads off, then Lori, followed by Jean. Then Lori jumps in again, which is, I, I just love this group. Honestly, there were so many people that I thought couldn't do anything for me and I didn't even want to befriend them. I thought they were just a waste of my time. And I was like, you know, I'm 27, so I was younger and more egotistical. Like, you're not going to do anything for me. What, what can you offer me? Like, I'm going to go for this person or that person. And then it wasn't until a few years later when I realized they also grew up. And they also did something pretty badass and extraordinary. And we can totally work together and help each other now. So making connections, I don't think it's with any specific group of people or person that at that moment has something that you may need. It's with people, good people, who have the same amount of passion and ambition and drive as you that one day in the future, even if you guys are doing polar opposite things in your careers, you will be able to help each other. So making connections everywhere, any day with any person has benefited me and not making connections with those people has also really screwed me over because like I realized oh that guy that I was so mean to I thought could not do anything and it was just so like obnoxious and so this ended up starting this company that I really would have loved to connect with for like my new wallpaper line so (laughs) arrogance has to be put aside Um, humility will do well and connecting with anyone because there's always something that someone has to offer you I uh you wouldn't know it from all the places that I speak and TV and all these things, but I'm, you know, insecure and shy and and it's hard for me to put on the makeup and come out to these events. I'd rather sit in my garden and read a book and listen to the birds and Same. you know <laughs> I I practice yoga. It's a solitary sport, you know, I meditate. It's real solitary. So you you gotta put one foot in front of the other and make the effort to get out there and I think there are no bad connections. People that act like morons or inappropriate or that's a good example of how not to behave, right? So you can learn from those people. And then it's not what you know, it's who you know. So just today, and I'm very happy to be at this event. I hope I didn't come off like I wanted to sit at home instead of doing this. But um, just out in the lobby, I have the second edition of my book, Green Interior Design, that's coming out. And someone who sits on the council, the head of the council of the, the Green Building Council, just ran into me and asked me to, you know, network with them and get back into that whole thing. So it's just get out there, put one foot in front of the other, show up, put on your lipstick, comb your hair, polish your shoes, put your best foot forward and just go start shaking hands. And if you're shy, like really I am on the inside, you know, put on, put on your big girl panties and like, you know, show up and say hello. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think just, on the flip side of making connections, I absolutely 
you know, have benefited so much by these serendipitous connections and not really understanding, like, I'll be somewhere and be like, why am I here? And then it's like revealed why I'm there and some like great connection happens. But the flip side of it, I'll say, is that, um, you know, I think we all have like teams that we've hired. And when you talk about connections in that way, I actually think that it's important to realize when something isn't a good connection and just be okay with it and be like, you know what, that's not, that's not a good fit. That's fine. Because I, I especially think as, as business owners and entrepreneurs as we all are, you know, some connections, whether it's a business opportunity or employee, it's just not the right fit. And that's fine. And I think accepting that took me a little while. Like in the beginning, I thought everything was an opportunity. <laughs> and, and especially when someone rejects you, someone who you want to make a connection with doesn't want to make a connection with you. That happens, yeah, you know? Totally. And then um, I just have this little saying, uh, rejection is protection. Like, that's cool. What, you know, if I would have drove that way, maybe I would have gotten a car accident today. So, yeah. Yeah, um, totally. you know, you put your best foot forward and sometimes it gets stepped on. Oh, well, you know. <laughs> You've heard designers, architects, and creators talk about the value of collaborations, and uh, you're you're about to get some more. This is good, really good. My whole design practice is collaboration. A lot of designers, you'll look and you'll go, "Oh, that's a that's Jamie and Ron. Oh, that's a Nathan Turner." You won't look at anything I do and ever go, "Oh, that's a Lori Dennis," unless um, you spot the meticulous cleanness and and tidied up no accessory business, um, because I collaborate with every client that I have. They're uh, desire for their look, I become a chameleon and we collaborate together and make something happen. So for me, I, I couldn't exist in the position that I'm in without collaboration. Um, everything we do is a collaboration and, and it's just kind of the way that I travel through the world is collaborating with others and having connections. I think it's really intertwined. I think it's kind of interesting that they don't teach like in the education of interior designers or architects, that they don't have more skills around collaborating, collaborating effectively, like communicating effectively, because it just fundamentally there are businesses that require it, right? You have to be in collaboration, whether you think of it or, as collaboration or not, with your builder, with your vendors, with your clients. Like it's just, you're not going into a room and shutting the door and writing your book. Like that's not what this profession is. So we are all collaborating all the time and I think really appreciating that is something that um, like I just I see it especially and it certainly does not sound like you have um, uh, suffered from this Ryan but especially in young like when I was younger and starting out my business I used to think that like a team was 10 of me like that would be the perfect team like if I could just get 10 of me then everything would be done like just like I like it and perfect and that would be the perfect collaboration that is like the most ridiculous hubris idea of like collaborating ever. And I see it, other people thinking like that and doing that. But the, the beauty of collaboration is that these people bring totally different ideas. And then the, the, the result is so much stronger and better than anything that you could have ever thought of on your own. Like, it's magic. Sorry. Oh, we're getting to LA again. No, woo woo. I'm from, I'm from New York, so <laughs> I can use the word magic. <laughs> I try my best to have my clients and other people involved, but it's really difficult because I like to be the captain of the ship. And <laughs> um, I've gotten better at it, but um, 
I collaborate to a degree. Like, what is it that you need in this house? Do you have family? Do you have a lot of kids? Do you entertain a lot? Durability a factor? Is space a factor? Or can I maximalistic approach this like crazy? Um, in that regard, I take their opinions and you know I incorporate it and we collaborate in that way. But aesthetically, I always say to them, you have a style, show me some pictures, but at the end of the day, you, you hired me, you know, and you're gonna let me do the best job I possibly can. I'll take your advice and I'll pepper it into my design. And that's always been my collaborative method. Sounds like vision. Still sounds like you're collaborating. Yeah, I guess so. I think as you get older, you, um, because I was there 25 years ago, right? I think you start to relax a little bit and and welcome a little bit more. um, Two plus two becomes five instead of it's my way, mother. You know? And it becomes easier to go through life when you can, when you can take a little and give a little. So um, you'll get there, baby. No. <laughs> so good. Okay, so we've covered a lot of ground here. Identity, mentorship, connections, collaborations. You're about to hear about something that everyone deals with. You, me, everyone. It's not a topic often discussed, but it's so important. Everyone feels it, but everyone also responds to it differently. The idea is fear. Here's how this group of rebels handles their fear. I think the um, more successful you get, the more fear seeps in because you're afraid you're going to lose it. Um, it's that inner voice in you, that like insecure like whore that just doesn't stop talking and telling you that like you didn't do good enough and it's not nice enough. And for me, what I define as fear ultimately is the comparison in my head. When I look at another designer's work or when I look at another spread in a magazine and I start comparing that person's work if it is in any way relatively similar to mine and if it's better or if mine's worse and it just goes and it goes and it's like, shh, shh you have to like turn it off. Um, but... Ultimately, it's all about confidence and reminding yourself and just not letting those thoughts become you. You know, you can't control those thoughts. I don't care what anybody says. You can't control a bird from flying over your house and you can't control a thought from coming in your head, but you can watch the bird flying over and you can just watch the thought and just let it pass through. And it's going to come. It comes with success and you just have to ignore it and have confidence and be grounded enough in yourself that no matter what pops in, that like inner voice that is just so negative and is making you scared needs to stop because that will be your demise if that fear becomes you. Fear is a human condition. It was programmed in us so that we were able to survive and be afraid of things that are going to kill us. So embrace the fear. Know that it's just as part of breathing. It's just part of being alive and, and it's your experience. And then draw back on some time in your life. And I know we're all old enough in here to have had an experience where we were terribly afraid it was almost paralyzing, and we moved through it, right? Everybody here afraid at one time, and you did move through it, right? So every single time when you get that feeling, no, this is part of my human experience, and just like that other time, I'm scared, my heart's beating fast, I'm going to get through this. And no matter how terrible it is, you know, it could be illness, it could be you're about to go bankrupt, it could be your partner's going to leave you, You know, it could be really, really terrible things are going to happen to you, but guess what? You're going to get through it. And and it's okay to be afraid, but just know you're bigger than the fear. Uh, I'm trying to think of how I can add to either one of these statements. 
Um, I have figured out how to put it outside of my body. Mm. I know, and that's why I was like, I don't know if I can explain it exactly. But when that feeling comes, I literally just say, look, you, I will totally freak out with you as soon as I get this work done. <laughs> like, we will have, like, at, at hours when this, when this is over, like, right now, I have to get this work done because the thing that you're afraid of will happen if you keep fucking with me. <laughs> so you're going to sit in a jar next to me. I'm not leaving you. We're totally going to freak out together later. <laughs> but right now... I need you to do my job. I love that. And then you go and you do your job and you, you're like, oh, right. That fear was, what was I afraid of? I just did that thing. Like, whatever. Okay. And you like, we on to the next thing. From fear to drive. And you'll hear how, uh, how those two are connected. Yeah, I mean, I am, um, to say that I'm driven is like a slight understatement. <laughs> um, you know, there are in 2015, I was one of 11 African-American women who ever raised over a million dollars of venture capital. Ever. 15. Ever. Then in, I think now we're up to like 34 people, African-American women who have raised venture capital. And of that, I'm like number two or number three. So we've raised about 20 million bucks. Nice. Wow. To do that, took me about 300 no's. 300 different firms telling me no. And that's not like, that's not like the phone calls, the pitching, the meeting, the follow-up afterwards, the data room, all the stuff. 300 times that cycle. 300? Yep. Yep. So what in the world could be the motivation behind that? I mean, I'm going to like work with my therapist for like the rest of my life to figure out why I would ever work that hard. Like driven is like, Oh, two no's like 300. That's a lot. So I don't, I, it, I would, it would be, I don't, I don't, it, it is a power outside of myself that has compelled me because I feel very, clear on changing a certain type of perspective that people have about people who look like me. And so that, that helps me get up. So I think you like winning like I do. You like putting points oh, on wait, the where's board. Where's my phone? <laughs> my phone says we're going to win. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the whole thing for me. It's not the money. It's not people. I mean, you know, it's the money, the people recognizing you, the success, all those things are just, it's points on the board. And for me, life is a game. And I just like racking up points and winning. And it's, it's fun. So that's what drives me. But I don't want anybody in the audience to think, because we're all different, you know, and we all have different versions of success and definitions of success and the people sitting up here have intense drive I mean you know but some other people don't have intense drive they're they're driving in the slow lane and they're and they're doing just fine and they're succeeding they're a yoga teacher who is you know doing their own thing and 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 it's a different path and they're 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 loving it or it's the design professional who doesn't care about anybody knowing their name they just want to make a steady income and you know, go to lunch, you know, not have all these problems. So 
don't get intimidated by the fact that the three psychos up here. Yeah, no, um, no, no. Just to clarify, <laughs> there were well, times I went so bad that I wanted to get off. There were definitely times where I was like, what is this magnet in my chest? And where is the other magnet? And why do I keep, like, can I get off now? It was not, yeah, don't, everybody here, this is not like, you should go do this. <laughs> sometimes life, you know, it's waxing and waning. Totally. And sometimes even the people up here, you're stuck in traffic and things are in front of you. And that's really a time to reflect, turn on your favorite song, start imitating Madonna, you know, like take a moment, pause. And then there's times when you got the pedal to the metal and you just need to go. And so absorb, you know, embrace those times when you're, when you're driving fast and embrace those times when you're driving slow. But don't compare the drive up here, which is not normal, to, to the drive that you may or may not have. And maybe if you do have that drive, we should all go, like, shoot espressos together. Everybody <laughs> See, was like, that would be, be a terrible world. <laughs> like, if everybody was like that, that would be a terrible world. I came from a very conservative household. I had a very um, tough dad who was all about the traditional way a man supports a family, gets a job somewhere in the intelligentsia world, whether it be something in medicine or law... Um, the arts were not something that he found to be um, very su substantial enough, something tangible enough to make money and to be that. What he had pictured in his mind, this script that he drew, the straight guy that is like him who has that hustle. Um, when he realized that my passion was the arts, um, a big part of my drive, don't get me wrong, my drive, I think, comes from my heart love and instinct and talent. But that hustle combined with that, that was the recipe for success in, in my life, was trying to prove to him and trying to prove to probably a lot more people, to myself as well, that I could be a very successful interior designer and still have that manhood that he so aspires me to have or expects me to have or I think the inner voice in me expected me to have. Um, and it was a combination of all of that, the drive with my heart and love and talent and trying to make and prove myself that really accelerated the process, being where I am now at 27 and has been my recipe for success so far. And I think Ryan is bringing up such a nice point and, you know, maybe it wasn't exactly clearly articulated in my example, but I do think that it's connected to what you were talking about fear before. So I think to truly be successful it does have to move from fear to love, yeah. right? To, because drive just based on fear, you just are gonna burn yourself out, you're gonna, be, you're gonna be a mess. And at some point, you have a conversation with yourself, and I had that conversation about like, no, I, I really care about you know, diversity and inclusion and little girls who look like me looking at me and saying like, I could be her, like that's important to me. And that's love. And having that switch over makes it that work way easier. <laughs> when it's fear-based, it's hard. But when it's love-based, like you said, it's, it's, it makes it a lot easier. From fear to drive, what could, what could the next subject possibly be but, uh, but working on that edge? It'd be unforgettable. You know, that's the stamp I want to leave on the design world. You know, I want to be remembered. I don't want to be like, I'm not trying to become famous, but I want to be remembered and leave a stamp. So in every project, I do something a little crazy. I add something a little spicy. I love something a little phallic, a little inappropriate. <laughs> um, 
I think that's what makes it edgy and stand out. If you can disturb somebody just a little bit, you, 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 you did something. You totally did something. I'm so going back and looking at your portfolio. Same. <laughs> um, I think it's hopeful. That's why I think we should do it. Because I think that it's fundamentally hopeful. It's a hopeful act. It speaks about like the future. And I think that like creation is a hopeful process and a harder process than destruction. And I think that trying to be innovative means that you're really trying to push and continue the uh, so, some narrative, whether it's a design narrative or whatever, forward. So it's hopeful. And fun. Why We, we have so many days on this planet I think we came into this field because it's fun, right? I did. So when you're just doing the same thing day after day, you're not pushing any boundaries and coloring outside of the lines and making a mess and making mistakes, it gets stale. It's not as fun. Um, I want to have fun. I want to have Lori fun. Does also put phallic things in her designs? <laughs> well, we do have D Tuesday in our office, so <laughs> we like to look at soccer players and see what's coming out. Does that oh, count? Damn. <laughs> it's an all ladies off. Ryan, you can come anytime. I'm there. If you're going to change the business, disrupt, or whatever you want to call it, you have to find your niche. Locate the need. Find the audience looking for what you have to offer and deliver it. Totally. Here's how they yeah, do it. I mean, I, I think it's everything. So the name of the company is Sweeten. So it's like home sweet home. So I want as many people as possible to have that feeling of knowing a home sweet home. That is, uh, you know, obviously a very personal idea and, and one in which a lot of people, uh, it, that, that they don't have it. <laughs> and especially the segment of the market, you know, like, let me back up for one second. So I did very high-end architecture for a long time. So people that had, you know, a fifth house, they were all $25 million teardowns. It was just like a different type of customer. What I realized is that people who work really hard need a lot of those same services. They need like architecture and design and good quality construction. And they were not being served at all. It's really hard to do any type of renovation as like a regular person. And so, yeah, it was kind of the marriage of those two things where it was like, I want everybody to feel like there's a home sweet home for them. And there's clearly a need in the market because there's like a massive gap. So I started in finance before I became a designer and I read all about Warren Buffett and all these other dudes and everybody kept repeating the niches are in the riches and, you know, the, the riches are in the niches. So when you pick something specific to you, you can become the best at it. And when you become the best at something, it sure does make it a lot more fun. You sure do uh, throw off a lot more love and, and, you know, make home sweet homes for people. And then they throw off love and it's like this whole love ball and success ball and all these things happen. So when you pick something, you set yourself apart from the other 5,000 design professionals in LA and you do baby nurseries. You love baby nurseries. You know everything about baby nurseries. Or for me, it's health and wellness and, and sustainability and like living an organic, clean, clean air, you know, life that you can go out and be healthy and, and 
emanate that kind of energy to other people. So you will succeed when you, when you become more finite in what you're the best at and you can become a, a master instead of a jack of all trades. So that's why I think the niches are so important. For me, I never went into this field thinking that I need a, or coming up with a niche of anything. What I realized after a while was that, you know, my niche was my generation. And when I was starting out, there was nobody in their 20s that I could look up to and see, okay, you could do it too. You know, they did it, you could do it. Everybody was older than me. Like, and when I mean older, I mean like 10 to 15 years older than me. So now I get constant messages about how people in high school or in college are so inspired because they're seeing this kid who's 27 years old, you know, blazing trails and doing what he's doing. So my niche, I think, would be I represent an immersion of young talent that up until now didn't have somebody to look up to at their age group. I mean, well, you're all people to look up to, but someone who can represent their I'm also generation. 27, just to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Ryan, I think that you're, you're glamour and you're, you're a Hollywood Regency dude. I mean, that, you know, you really, that's kind of your Style-wise, thing. Style-wise, yeah. Yeah, yeah Hollywood you know, Regency. like you own that. I channel Zsa Gabor in her, yeah, you know, amazing. Beverly Hills amazing. penthouse with her cigarette and her pink furs and it's a thing, I man. People that. want that. Yeah. They want a piece of that. From finding the need to maintaining momentum. This is a hard one, right? Making it to the top is one thing. Staying there is something different altogether. The thing with millennials is it's all about instant gratification. And I think it's the hardest generation for other generations to keep up with because they get over it really quickly and they want what's next. They want what's next. And social media screwed us in that way because everything is available at the palm of their hand. Um, if you're asking where do I think millennials are going, um, I think they're a generation that because there's so much available in the palm of their hands, they're so much more aware than other generations are at their age. And I'm noticing now when I get a millennial client, they literally know Jean-Louis Daniot and they know all about um, Dorothy Draper and Elsa DeWolf and I'm like how the hell do you know this stuff and they know all about quality and they want quality and it's almost like the generation before that ate up Ikea and loved you know quick stuff easy and the millennials even though they're younger because they have all this knowledge now in the palm of their hands they want a more sophisticated a quality home and that was actually really surprising to me because every article I would read before that was you know they just want it fast. They just want it quick. They do, but they want it the best. So I'm really interested, interested in seeing what's going to happen now and take their high taste and all of their knowledge and see how that, with that hustle of wanting it really quickly, how the world is going to change in turn. I think it's the same as always. I think history repeats itself, and you always have a new crop that comes up, and the old guard is talking shit about the young guard, and the young guard's <laughs> talking shit about the old guard, and then the old guard becomes... You know, incompetent, the young guard becomes old, and then you got the next crop of people who are doing their thing. So I think, <laughs> I think it just, you know, the world just keeps ebbing and flowing, and, and it's going in that direction. There's, you know, people of, of like, you know, my, my age group are always complaining about the millennials, and I, oh, they all want a trophy, and they all, you know, want what they, what they, want they, they, they all want, they all want it right away. And I said, you know, that's true, but on the other hand, because they all got told that they were great, and they all want a trophy, they all have this confidence, and that when you have confidence, you have capability, and they're all very capable of doing a lot of things. 
So, you know, you got to look at both sides of it. And, and I just think it's funny because I've heard, I remember when I was the young generation, we were Gen X, I guess, was, was the thing. And all the old people were talking shit about us. So, you know, it's just, it just goes and it goes. You got your, your winners, you got your losers, and you got everybody in between. And we should all just kumbaya, right? <laughs> What was the question again? Is this a millennial question? I don't know what we're talking. Um, momentum. Well, I I will say that I'm. We have a lot of young people who work at Sweeten, and um, I really like the different perspective and you know so much of the conversation, like moving the conversation forward. Kind of what you were saying about this, like confidence. Like even if you think of like Me Too and all of those conversations, you know, just like simple things, like pointing out, like oh. I feel bad in this situation. Like, we should change that. And them saying that, and then us being like, oh, you're right. Like, that does suck. And it shouldn't be, like, a badge of honor to go through that. Like, thank you for saying that. I don't know. I just, I think it's, um, I think each generation kind of does that for each other. And at some point, maybe it flips, and then you're like, well, uh, you know, it becomes like, you don't know anything. I don't know. There's this line where the bad things of the past become a badge of honor to go through instead of just like iterating them and changing them and making them better for everyone. And I think that, that like every young generation does that. So I think sometimes it's annoying. I'm like, ah, you're right. We should definitely not have that policy at work. <laughs> Finally, it comes down to blazing trails and doing things differently. You, you have a couple examples up here of people who started as an architect and then went into a whole different avenue in design. I started as someone who was in finance, and I was killing it in finance, but I didn't like it. I kept using all my money to buy apartment buildings and renovate them, so I was like, hey, I'll become an interior designer. And then I was like, you know what? I can't, if I have to source another toilet paper holder for somebody, I'm going to blow my head off because I'm bigger (laughs) than that. I'm going to write some books so I can influence more people to have really positive experiences and go through life and not be assholes to other people. (laughs) So, you know, you, you can't, you can start on a path. How about that? Or you can be like already through a whole bunch of other paths and, and you, you know, your day, your life starts right now and don't be afraid to don't, you don't, you can have a plan and then God's going to laugh at you. Um, you know, so have your plan, have your idea and go for it as hard as you can. And if things get quirky or weird or you grow too fast and things fall apart or they're not growing at all, don't be afraid to chuck and jive. Don't be afraid to change directions. Don't be afraid. This is a big, huge, multi-billion dollar industry with all different kind of facets. You could be, uh, if you're good at design but you hate business, you could be an in-house rug designer for a a rug company. If you love furniture but you can't stand sourcing toilet paper holders, go be a staging uh, person for, uh, you know, if you're good by yourself, run your own business. If you're not good at running a business, go work for a big uh, home developer. If you love uh, interior design but you don't really want to do it, go talk to an agent on TV and do design on TV. Like, there's just so many things that you can do and so many ways that, and, you know, you might go from 20 till 40 and then go, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. And, like, I have a friend last night at a birthday party. She's an obstetrician. She delivers babies. And she's just had it up to here with the vaginas and the babies coming out. So she's going to do a longevity practice now. And, you know, she's 50 years old. So... You find your path, your path finds you. You kind of just go and use the talents that you have. Be reasonable. And if you're making a living and you're having a good time and 
you know, people aren't, you know, they still want to talk to you. Like, you know, you're, you're doing the right thing. I also think that it does change, like it absolutely changes over time. And I think letting that happen, for me, you know, the team is now growing to a size where I think mostly about like, I don't know, like things related to our team and watching the passion and the seed of passion grow in them for this mission, right? It, that then becomes super exciting. So. And actually, oh, she's just walking in. So Nicole and Leslie are both on my team. And last night, we're standing in the booth. Oh, everyone, we have a booth here. So come say hi to us. We're, like, right over there. And, and you know, it's just, like, a little bit downtime at the booth. And Nicole is like, oh, I think I have a better idea of how we can get more general contractors in the market. Because if we can get, like, multiple general contractors from one person, I think there are these people, and they could be, like, ambassadors, and we could get... And I was like, Whoa! I'm like so tired, but amazing, Nicole. <laughs> like true story, that just happened yesterday. And it was just so nice to see how passionate she was. To Like she's clearly thinking about our business all the time. Like I am thinking about our business all the time. And it was just, it was awesome. And so sometimes your passion can just be watching that passion spread. Yeah. About passion spreading, I think whenever you do something you love, only more love and good comes out of it. So I love what I do, and I have realized through doing what I do that I love designing furniture also, and I love designing wallpaper. And I did a little staging bit at one point. I painted, I did television. Um, All of these stemming from the same source, my passion and what I love, but other beautiful, loving experiences came from that too. So, love what you do. So there you have it. For rock stars, rebels, and raconteurs with Lori Dennis, Gene Brownhill, and Ryan Sagan. This is a blueprint for any creator looking to take their game to the next level. Special thanks to Ryan, Gene, and Lori. You guys crushed it. You're amazing. Thank you for participating. Thank you, Megan and Troy. Thank you, everyone who participates in West Edge Design Fair. Thank you, Erica Heat, for moderating this conversation. Thank you, John McLean, Kevin Isbell, Julia Wong, and Nicoletta Kiko for designing our stage at West Edge this year. It was amazing. You guys are true artists. Thank you. Thank you, Walker Zanger, for your support. And thank you for listening. Without you, there is no Convo by Design. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. You can also ask Siri, Alexa, or Google for help. Just say, hey, Siri, play Convo by Design. And she will. Until next week, keep creating. Mm